Chapter 12 of The Homesteader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. The Homesteader by Oscar Mugeau. Epoch the First. Miss Stewart receives a caller. Coincident with the finding of Peter Caden's body in the well, certain things became public with regard to others. But to complete this part of it, after finding the body, Jean-Baptiste hurried into Dallas and gave the alarm. Excitement ran high for a time, and as it was Sunday, in a few hours the spot around the well was crowded. From over all the reservation the people came, and the consensus of opinion was that it was suicide. Perhaps Jean-Baptiste was the only one who had his doubts. If it was suicide, then it was positive it was a precipitated suicide. Until the coroner arrived, there was no disposition made of the remains, and when he did, the decision of suicide was sustained. Since the man Baptiste had started to see was brought to the spot by the excitement, the business in hand was settled thereupon and that evening he went to call on the stewards with a view to hiring bill he found agnes alone but was invited to enter from her expression he could see that he was expected and while he waited for her father who had gone across the road they fell into amiable conversation springtime is knocking at our door he ventured and i am glad to see it and suppose you are also she answered who isn't it has been a very severe winter. I think so, too. How the winters here, as a rule, as cold as this one has been? How modest he thought she was. She was dressed neatly, in a satin shirt-waist and tailored skirt, while from beneath the skirts her small feet, encased in heavy shoes, peeped like mice. Her neck rose out of her bodice, and he thought her throat was so very round and white, while he noticed her prominent chin more today than he had before. He liked it. Nature had been his study, and he didn't like a retreating chin. It, to his mind, was an indication of weak will, with exceptions perhaps here and there. He reposed more confident in the person. However, when the chin was like hers, so naturally he was interested. As she sat before him with folded hands, he also observed her heavy hair done into braids and gathered about her head. It gave her an unostentatious expression, while her eyes were as he had found them before, baffling. Why, no, they are not, he said. Of course, I have not seen many. In fact, this is the second, but I am advised that, as a rule, the winters are very mild for this latitude. I see. I hope they will always be so if we continue to live here. And she laughed pleasantly. How do you like it in our country? He inquired now, pleased to be in a conversation with her. Why, I like it very well, she replied amiably. What I have seen of it, I think I would as soon live here as back in Indiana. I have been in Indiana myself. You have? She was cheered with the fact. He nodded. Yes, all over. What part of Indiana do you come from? Rensselaer, she replied, shifting with comfort and delighted that by his having been in Indiana, he was making their conversation easier. Oh, I see, 
she heard him. That is toward the northern part of the state. Yes, she replied in obvious delight. I have never been to that town, but I have been all around it. Well, well. She was at a loss in the moment how to proceed, and then presently she said, You have travelled considerably, Mr. Baptiste, I understand. He felt somewhat flattered to know that she had discussed him with others, apparently. Well, yes, I have, he replied slowly. That must be fine. I long so much to travel. You have not travelled far? No. From Indiana to western Kansas, where we were most starved out, and then back to Indiana and out here. He laughed. She also joined in, and they felt nearer each other by it. And how do you like it, Mr. Baptiste? Out here, you mean? Yes, why, yes, of course, she added hastily. Why, I like it fine. I'm thoroughly in love with the country. That's nice, and you own such nice land. I don't wonder, she said thoughtfully. Oh, well, he replied modestly, I think I should like it anyhow. Of course, but when one has property, such nice land as you own, they have everything to like it for. I'm compelled to agree with you. I'm sorry we don't own any, she said regretfully. But of course, in a way, we are not entitled to. We didn't get in on the ground floor. Therefore, we must be satisfied as renters. He was silent but attentive. Papa never seems to have been very fortunate. It may be due to his quaint old-fashioned manner, but he has never owned any land at all. Poor fellow. She said the last more to herself than to him. He was interested and continued to listen. We went to western Kansas with a little money and very good stock, and we were dried out two years straight, and the third year, when we had a good crop with a chance to get back at least a little of what we had lost, along came a big hailstorm and pounded everything into the ground. Wasn't that too bad? she cried sympathetically. It sure was. It is awfully discouraging to work as hard and to have sacrificed as much as we had, and then come out as we did. It just took all the ambition out of him. I shouldn't wonder, he commented tenderly. And then when we went back to Indiana, broke, of course, and having no money and no stock, because we had to sell what we had left to get out of western Kansas. So since beggars can't be choosers, we had to take what we could get, and that was a poor farm in a remote part of Indiana, in a little place that was so poor that the corn was all Newbins. They called it Newbin Ridge. He laughed, and she had to also when she thought of it. Well, we are able to live and pay a little on some more stock, because my brothers didn't take much to run around with like other boys, but stayed home and worked. We finally succeeded in getting just a little something together again, and then a real estate man came along and told us about this place. So here we are. She bestowed a smile upon him and sighed. She had told more of themselves than she had intended, but it had been a pleasant diversion at that. Moreover, she was delighted because he was such an attentive listener. So that is how you came out here, he essayed. I have enjoyed listening to you. Your lives read like an interesting book. Oh, that isn't fair. You are joking with me. 
notwithstanding she blushed furiously. No, no, indeed, he protested. She believed him. Strangely she reposed such confidence in the man that she felt she could sit and talk with him forever. But it is certainly too bad that you have been so unfortunate. I am sure it will not always be so. You are perseverant, I see, and riches come to him who waits. An old saying, but I hope it will not wait too long. Papa is getting old, and my brothers would be unable to manage with any effect alone. He understood her, and the incident was overlooked. Your mother is dead? Yes, my mother is dead, Mr. Baptiste. Oh, died when I was a baby. Well, well. I never knew her. Well, I do say. He paused briefly, while she was silent, but thinking deeply, thinking of what her father had started to say and never finished. And I venture to say that you have just about raised yourself. She blushed. You must be a wonderful girl. She blushed again and twisted her hands about. She tried to protest, but couldn't trust herself to say anything, just then. How she liked to hear him talk. You have my best wishes, believe me. He was at a loss for the moment as to how to proceed. Oh, thank you. She didn't dare raise her eyes. He regarded her as she sat before him, blushing so beautifully and wishing they were of the same race. Footsteps were heard at the moment, and both sat up expectantly. Quickly, then, she rose to her feet and went to the door and opened it in time to meet her father, who was about to enter. Oh, it's you, father. I'm glad you've come. Mr. Baptiste is here to see you. Uh-huh, Mr. Baptiste, I'm honoured, cried Jack Stewart, her father, and he marched forward with outstretched hand and much ado. Scotch propriety. Glad to know you, Judge, Baptiste returned warmly, grasping the preferred hand. Be seated. Be seated and make yourself comfortable. Make yourself at home, he said, pushing forward the chair out of which Baptiste had risen. Agnes was smiling pleasantly. She could see that the two were going to become friends, for both were so frank in their demeanour. Now, Aggie, you must prepare supper for Mr. Baptiste and myself, he said, taking hold of her arm. Oh, no, disdained Baptiste. Don't think of it. Now, now, my worthy friend, admonished Stuart, and then stopped. Why, you have met my daughter? Yes, we have met. They spoke in the same breath, exchanging glances. Then, while you fix us something good to eat, we will discuss our business. They found no difficulty in reaching a bargain in regard to Bill, the bargain being that Bill was to board home, and sleep there also, and the consideration was to be one dollar per day, and by the time this was completed, Agnes called them to supper. This is an unexpected pleasure, even though it be an intrusion, said Baptiste, as he was gently urged into a seat. Uh-huh, I see you have a sense of humour whereupon Jack Stewart's eyes glistened humorously behind the old-style glasses he wore. Baptiste coloured unseen, while Agnes regarded him smilingly. We haven't much, but what is here you are welcome to, she said. It's a feast, said he. About as good as batching, anyhow, joined Stewart. Hush! 
How do you like it? Didn't I say hush? That should be sufficient. Agnes took a seat and surveyed the table carefully, to see that all was there. Her father was pious. He blessed the table, and when this was over, fell to eating with his knife. By the way, cried Baptiste near the end of the meal, did you hear the news? What news? they asked in chorus. The man dead in the well. Is that so? they exclaimed, shocked. He told them in detail all about the finding of the body, and the opinion that it was a suicide. They listened with the usual awe and curiosity, but Jean-Baptiste did not voice his suspicions, or tell them anything he knew. At a later hour he took his leave, and neither of the three realized then that the self-same tragedy linked strangely an after-event in their lives. But when Jean-Baptiste went over the hill to his sod house that stood on the claim, Jack Stewart went outside and walked around for almost an hour. He was thinking, thinking of something he knew and had never told. End of chapter 12 Epoch the First Miss Stewart receives a caller.